0: Because people ask the question, why should I invest with you? Why can't I go in this individual deal? And the answer is, absolutely. You should do both. If you like a specific deal, uh, you could go into the deal. I mean, it's a risk concentration. So the, the, the primary benefit of going through a fund, you get two primary benefits effectively.
1: What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. This is the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Mike Zlotnick. Mike is a fund of funds manager. And today we're talking about, I think something that is really probably one of the most important strategies for American society today. And maybe that sounds a little ridiculous to you, but we're gonna tell you what it is. I'm gonna tell you right now. It's converting hotels and office space into multifamily to live in, because, an affordable multifamily to live in for that people can live in. Because the reality is, We have an undersupply of housing in most markets in the United States today. Most cities do not have enough housing, and our projected shortfall in the future is only growing. We need a lot more housing supply than we're getting. And to add on to that, labor and material prices are flying upwards due to inflation. There are a lot of reasons behind that. But at the end of the day, that makes adding new housing more expensive now than it was a year ago and more expensive than it was two years ago. And it's going to be more expensive next year than it is this year and so on. So if we can save save some money on these developments right, by converting properties that are not at their highest and best use, like office or hotels that are just generally in less demand today than they used to be and probably will be in less demand for the future that's good for everybody right that's good for the economy that's good for the housing market and that's good for other investors right we want to supply the housing market with the supply that it needs right and that's that's so important and today we're talking about how that strategy works we talk about how mike vets operators for his fund of funds because he places capital he places investor capital in these deals so he needs to find the sponsors and find the deals Such a great conversation today. There's so much information in here and you're going to learn so much. If you're new to the show and you haven't yet and you enjoy it, take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcast app, leave us a rating and review. Five stars if you don't mind. That's so appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I won't lie to you, it helps me feel good because I get to see everything that you guys have to say. You're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with the rest of us. If you know anyone could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. And don't forget to go to your favorite podcast app, type in the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Like I said, I think this strategy, this this phenomenon of converting Less useful or, or not in its highest and best use property into multifamily really has a potential to make a big impact on most markets, most housing markets supply and, and make a big difference for folks who need affordable housing. So it's a great thing. I'm happy to learn alongside you today from Mike Zlotnick. Without any further ado, here we go. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Taylor, for having me. It's been great talking with you so far, and, and we've got uh, a great conversation queued up for the folks and a really important topic. Uh, for our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you give us an introduction to what you do and you know where you're coming from?
0: Sure. So I'll give a little bit of a long story, a short version of it. But uh, originally, I'm uh, an immigrant from the former Soviet Union. So I, I say I come from Russia with love,
1: like <laughs> James Bond. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I got immigrated in 1989 Was still Soviet Union. It was that long ago, yeah, but I'm a U.S. citizen, U.S. Patriots. I live in Brooklyn, New York, married to my lovely wife for over 21 years, four kids and a cat, my fifth child. You got a couple of cats, so you know how it is. Uh, so I'm a... Basically, real estate, uh, full time uh, fund uh, manager and investor. I've been, uh, I had a previously career in technology as technology executive, ex- executive almost 15 years, but I realized my passion and my strong, you know, site has always been real estate. So I started investing in real estate 2000, went full time 2009, becoming a fund manager and a professional investor, and never looked back. So that's what I do for a living. We're capital allocators. We find uh, the best opportunities with shifting market conditions. An example is COVID hit, then hotels became dysfunctional. We started investing quite a bit in hotel multifamily conversions. So we do a whole bunch of that shifting uh, into the best opportunities that the market gives us. Uh, our whole investor investment thesis is based on know, like, and trust. We only invest with people who we know, like, and trust, establish relationship first, then underwrite deals, and then negotiate terms. That's all I do daily, day in and day out. I do have a a show. People have called me Big Mike. I'm known as a Big Mike in many masterminds. The reason for this, I'm 6'4", a little bit on a heavy site. And um, I do have a podcast called Big Mike Fun Podcast.
1: Couldn't come out with more creative name. So that's it. (laughs) Nice. So you mentioned converting uh, hotels, some disused hotels. And I think this is probably one of the biggest opportunities societally, right? We need housing and we probably seem to have an oversupply of hotels and probably offices and retail in many markets. And theoretically, we should be converting those into the assets we need, which is housing. Can you tell us about how that works in your business and what you're doing, converting hotels into multifamily? Sure. So... um
0: the opportunity existed pre-covid number of dysfunctional hotels where the highest and best use was no longer hotels but the pandemic accelerated the trend so we started our journey uh investing in this sector in 2019 not that long ago our first investment in that sector was pre-covid and that project has, done, has gone phenomenally. It just actually sold in February, 2021 at 2.2 times X. So we, we generated essentially roughly 73% IRR, which is awesome. home run by any means. So we saw the, this, this being pre-COVID trend uh, and COVID hit. Uh, we, we started investing in this sector. We found a uh, sponsor and operator who is a specialist. So just to be clear, I manage fund the funds with capital allocators. We are not actively operating these hotels. So we're investing in them, in the best of breed uh, operators, but we're not banging the, the hammers. We're not doing the, the work. So uh, I like the strategy. I like the um, both the social impact, the do good part of it, as well as the uh, the economics. Yeah, on the, on the do good front, I agree with you 100%. And we do have an investment actually in office conversion to multifamily as well. You're absolutely right. Um, office is going to suffer for probably a number of years past the pandemic, uh, it, so that recovery is going to be long and hard, while um, uh, shopping plazas have fared fairly well, many of them have recovered uh, a lot faster than as the economy every reopened. But the office damage is sort of permanent um, in, in some markets and some sectors. As far as the hotels, if you um, you, you got to pick and choose your battles. So there are great candidates in that space. I'll give you some examples. This ice cream has a few flavors, the chocolate, vanilla, and, and such. So the easiest to convert are your extended stay hotels. And these type of hotels become uh, easy to convert because they look like apartments. Many of them already have kitchenettes installed. So it's a substantially easier um, lifting than uh redevelopment of a hotel that is doesn't have that, that installed. In addition, location is the key. Uh the ones that are located already in the residential community that are uh they fit in. Either they 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 operated as temporary stay locations when uh there were college events, not proximity to universities, medical centers or or hospitals they become uh, an equivalent, of what used to be Airbnb, but now they could be long-term apartments. So some of these hotels uh, just naturally fit. And the um, uh, as much as economy has reopened and there is a uh, boost of demand now, people are coming out and they're going to vacation spots. And many of these hotels are full. The long-term trend is still there. So my belief, Uh, that some of these hotels just better be used as multifamily. Now, office is an interesting play. Really have to pick and choose which locations. Uh, We have a project, give you an example, uh, a conversion of an office building right next to St. Louis Cardinals ballpark. Literally, you can see the game from the the, uh, rooftop. So location-wise, some of these uh, buildings would fit really well into conversion. Uh, And if you have a high riser uh, somewhere in Manhattan, where there's a massive oversupply of condos, converting that building office building to more condos or more apartments is not going to do any good. So really, location
1: is the key. Do you want direct access to passive commercial real estate investments, including apartments, self-storage, medical facilities, hotels, and even more? CrowdStreet has you covered. They provide access to a wide variety of commercial real estate syndications for accredited investors. Over 520 deals have been closed through the platform, and investors have placed over $2.1 billion, that's billion with a D, in those deals. Go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com CrowdStreet to get started, or click the link in the show notes. See the CrowdStreet platform for full terms and conditions of what they offer. Once again, that's PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started. Absolutely. I mean, that that is uh, always important with real estate. It makes sense that it would be important with doing uh, any kind of conversion of uh, offices into apartments. Now, one of the things I wonder about that is, you know, offices in, in selecting your, the property itself, once you figure out the location, if it's right, you have the the property aspect. I mean, uh, an apartment needs completely different types of service than an office does, right? You have if you're breaking it up into apartments. You're probably going to need more bathrooms. Uh, um, you're going to need a kitchen, so you're going to have to bring in all of the the water service and you know handle all the the waste and all of that and all the additional wiring. So. You're probably looking, I would figure, at a fairly major gut job on a lot of those uh office buildings. Is that right? Is that wrong? What do the renovations typically look like?
0: That's correct. So office to multifamily conversion is heavy lifting. You have to pull in a lot, a lot of additional plumbing, like additional bathrooms, as you said, kitchens, and um, uh obviously moving the walls, electrical. So you you got heavier innovation for sure. On hotel conversions, just taking a step back to multifamily, extended stay hotels are almost natural fit, light renovations. Then you've got the other flavor of ice cream, sorry, I haven't mentioned, is your hotels that look like motels.
1: Mm, Yes, okay.
0: You've seen plenty of those, your Amadas. So uh, they're small rooms. And the big question becomes, do they get converted into a bunch of studios or they get converted into some one bedrooms? Do you combine two of them into a single apartment or not? And uh, it depends, Uh, really interesting mix and uh, demographics demand will drive what the conversion will look like. Uh, But those are your primary flavors and um, uh, ease to convert and um, uh, what the final product will look like and the demand in a given area will drive sort of the configuration. Interestingly enough, I was actually in Orlando, I was looking at one of these projects uh, just a week and a half ago Uh, it's in Kissimmee area, not far from Disney World. We looked at it almost like a natural apartment complex, even though it's a hotel, but you had a pool in the middle. It looked like almost, it's a a hotel that looked like could be apartments almost naturally. You still have to do the work. You still have to figure out, you know, what do you do with the, generally, you know, the the other stuff that the hotel has, meeting rooms, what does it have with the lobby? If you could find a better uh, community spaces, some kind of reuse of them, uh, it could benefit uh, the uh, the residents. So, uh, But affordability is a big deal. Uh, at the end of the day, you build smaller apartments at a greater price per, uh, you know, at a more affordable uh, rent versus kindly, kind of new newly constructed products. The issue is so much more relevant today when the construction costs are through the roof. If you can convert at a low cost, you can deliver a product uh, a lot more economically versus ground up. Which is extremely expensive now with all the construction materials, just both materials and labor being so expensive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned affordability. And that brings up another topic that I wanted to discuss, which is what part of the, say, strata of the market that you aim for when redeveloping one of these properties. You know, typically when we talk about, Multi-family, for example, we'll talk about A, B, and C class multi-family primarily, and it is kind of what you said, what it sounds like. A class is the nicest stuff. B class is kind of mid-market, and C is getting a little bit rougher, a little bit older, and the prices correspond to that. The most expensive stuff is going to be A, and then on downward. When you're redeveloping one of these properties, what part of the market do you aim for, and I, that kind of tails along with like the finishes. All of those kinds of things, the amenities in the property itself. Tell us about that and what you look for in one of these business plans. Sure. So it depends,
0: <clears throat> like, like like everything else in real estate, um, it really depends. We did one investment in that hotel, the the high end in Ogden Utah conversion called really literally Bigelow Residences. That's the one that exited in February of this year, and that was Class A. It was a nice kind of boutique hotel that converted to uh, Class A apartments. A number of other projects that we've invested in, I would call them Class C. It's your motel conversions, sort of in the workforce housing type of... They are your classic Class C, older asset. You do need to put on new roof, new siding, kind of uh, improve the the property. Now, as far as the finishes, um, pretty much you don't try to get cheap on... um, on the appliances and and the cabinets. It's almost like you're doing all the work and you don't need a lot of them. So you still get stainless steel appliances. You still get nice product out. Even if it's Class C, you're not trying to get the cheap fridge that looks like 1970s and so on. (laughs) So you you do that because incrementally, it's not a lot of money and it feels like it adds value. Like that that incremental dollar invested just feels like it's worth the the investment just from the appeal uh, perspective. I've seen some, I would call them um, sort of C-pluses into Bs. So we have investments in some best Westerns, a little bit nicer hotels, and then they get converted. and The buildings look a little nicer. The pools a little nicer. um, The area a little nicer. So you could sort of tell, basically think of them as as B-minus, C-plus type of assets. Um, It's not just the age of the property, but it's the location. If you combine the two, you may be a Class A area, but you're delivering essentially a B-minus product, but you're really, really affordable for that area. Uh, why B-minus? Because it's small, right? And there was an old, older hotel and then you kind of cleaned it up. Uh, will you call it B-minus or a B? It's, it's hard to say. It's just all arbitrary. But your classic, um, you know, Ramada's conversion and some other ones uh, that uh, they, I would call them C. I mean, they, there's no, I, you can't call them anything other than a C. Can it be C-plus? Maybe, but it's, You're trying to avoid the D, like really, you're no longer D because you basically clean up the property. Uh, And these projects do make sense in, you know, reasonably area, reasonably, I don't want to call them, you're not going into very expensive areas, nor are you trying, because you're not going to find too much product there, uh, but you're not trying to go into really rough areas either. So it's your C, you
1: know, C plus is where it probably bulk of this exists. Yeah. Yeah. And I can, this is where location is going to become really important because if you have the same exact asset in the say most A class part of town versus the, you know, a C, a C class quote part of town where stuff's kind of older, there's less amenities, there's Fewer stores, less development in the area. Maybe the schools are a little worse. The that exact same property in different locations is going to command very different rents, and you know, going to have a, a very different uh, dynamic as well, depending on where it's located. Yeah, I agree. If, if you can find a Class A area
0: and do a conversion, and you can you can certainly drive much better rents. Um, it, it's really a function of of the location and, and the acceptance of the product. So if the product itself is is much smaller but this micro living concept has been around like a lot of if you're living in a more constant congested you know area where the the population density is higher they'll accept micro living a lot easier versus people are used to bigger spaces you 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 have to pay attention to what the area is kind of
1: what, what what a typical housing looks like in a given area yeah yeah absolutely it's always interesting it has been interesting i had some family uh, years ago, the, uh, cousin and, and her husband lived in a, a studio in Manhattan. It was nice. It was a newer studio, but not in like the fanciest part of town. And as a studio compared to the monthly cost of a, a nice home where I live in Richmond was about the same, but you could buy the house as compared to rent a small studio. So it's really incredible how much uh, location has an effect on, you know, what people are are able and willing to pay for, th- pay for things. Now, I'd like to pivot a little bit because one of the things I like about the other things I like about talking to guys like you, right, is you run a fund of funds, which means you invest, you have a fund and invest that capital with sponsors. So you're not only evaluating deals, you're evaluating sponsors. And I'd like to learn more about your process. And I think our listeners would benefit from learning about your process of evaluating the sponsors, what you look for, and you know how concerned you are with say the sponsor versus the deal, how much those things weigh in. So let's break into that a bit. Sure. <laughs> Big topic. I, just,
0: I was just guest on another podcast just before this call, uh, an hour early, and this was a pretty substantial uh, conversation. So yeah, the, the the discussion is complex, but we, we we have a very simple philosophy. It's just, a, it's all this world. It's all relationship driven. So we don't take any cold sponsors from the street. We, we can't even, we won't even uh, have the conversation we need a pretty good chain of referral. So we do deals because we've been in business for a long time. We have a strong network of uh, people who we know. So building the trust takes a long time. So how do you build the trust um, quicker? Strong referral. If it's a strong referral from somebody who we know well, that helps uh, quite a bit. But in general, we always start with a sponsor. We we, we have to make sure that we know, like, and trust them on every level, uh, the way they communicate, the way they do business, We invest pretty much only with uh, what I call them institutional sponsors. We don't work with mom and papa sponsors and operators from the point of view that they offer crappy terms, they don't have scalability. So if the institutional sponsor with abilities to uh, generate uh, not only great returns, but also good reporting, good communications, good responsiveness, all those things matter. So if we can establish um, history track record, we typically ask, them to get kind of verified we use a third party administrator to run general background check on them and just some some level of confirmation they you know they, they do what they say uh see so if the integrity is there i mean that's a starting point once we have some believe this is a uh Warfist sponsor then we start looking at the deals as they come up and uh, i realize there's a lot of money chasing deals and we're not trying to be competitive at all uh we're just trying to be reliable um providers of capital with relationship to other fund managers. So we have the strength of numbers concept, we have a great deal, can make a couple of phone calls and a few other uh, funds can go with us. So we were able to often uh, raise more capital that way and negotiate better terms. So we're we're not looking for um, newbies, nor we're looking for um, the super high-end folks with very established uh, capital raising abilities because they don't need us right so it's it's sort of these two possibilities the, 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 those are really good operators and they um, don't have uh programmatic and or a systematic way to raise capital and they 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 need these relationships and we, we we become a perfect fit or another way is sort of I call them the emerging sponsors some of the folks I've seen they've done a number of deals they're doing well they have the right um, kind of uh, methodology, the business operating system is there. And um, we're open to work with some of the upcoming, but I don't call them rookies and they need a strong Mm -hmm. referral. So the point is I I can't take uh, brand new, nor do I want super uh, uh, high-end folks because they're going to offer terms that they're going to offer. They're not going to negotiate quite often. And will we invest sometimes with these very high-end institutional sponsors? Yes. If they're offering institutional terms, sure. We'll, we'll consider, but we start with the sponsor. The step number two becomes the deal, right? It's, it's what are the deal economics? Question number one, why is this a good deal? And we, we wanna hear the right story and we need to understand, um, you know, is this a seller motivation? Is this a, you know, a value buy or is this a uh, momentum play where uh, an area is going through a great trend and uh, uh, the value at work is, is now compounded by the trends in a given area? So it's a combination of a market kind of supporting the the growth and the rent inflation feces as well as uh, what's the value at. Uh, we do like, again, class A area, class B type of property that you can go take it through devalue value at uh, work, renovate internal, external, increase rents. So if we're talking about multifamily, that's a classic theme. And then the third element is obviously negotiations and the economics. We, I've seen great sponsors, great deals, they offer crappy terms. And what, what happens? I mean, it happens because they're, they're good, they've established, they got a reputation, they're gonna say, listen, I, I'm worth it because I do risk the deal because it's it's me. I, I am that sponsor. Can we invest with them? Sometimes, yeah, I mean, if we if we like them, we, we might go out of our way or push them a little bit and say, listen, these are the terms offered to everyone else, but we're bringing you a bigger check we need a side letter. We need some kind of you know improvement. Uh, and uh, you know we've played this game a few times. where We've asked for better splits. We've asked for even minimum IRR. When they say, hey, this thing is underwritten for twenty percent under under this waterfall, I tell them, listen, I don't. You're a little aggressive when you're marketing and a little, a little aggressive in the pro forma. I'll do this waterfall with the following changes. You you got to give us a little bit better here, and then give us a side letter that if your waterfall doesn't get us to this target return, the the, the split will change. You will forego your promote to get us to target return. So it really depends. So first drop in the bucket or the last drop in the bucket can work. As the last drop in the bucket, they're short a million bucks, for example, and they need to close, hey, they, they're a little more flexible. If they need to get capital going and they need first drop in the bucket, we can do that too, come in with a special term. So a little bit of that is critical to make the deal work. So that's that's kind of um, how we look at the high level underwriting sponsor
1: deal, uh, and then deal economics. Awesome, I, I appreciate that explanation. And you know, it's certainly a topic for another day. But those things you mentioned about negotiating better terms or different such and such waterfall uh, terms and things like that—that uh, that is one of the advantages and principle of of for passive investors going with someone who raises capital for a fund and negotiates with sponsors because you through your fund are bringing a much larger check to the table than any given passive investor bringing you know who might invest fifty or hundred thousand dollars. when you can bring that bigger check and the sponsor or the, the person doing the deal uh, themselves can work with fewer folks like yourself, save themselves some time, they're more willing to give up a piece of the pie or make certain promises or guarantees in the terms. And that topic comes up sometime, but you know we'll have to talk about that some other time. Yeah, let me make just one quick
0: commentary on this, because people
1: sure. ask the question, why should I invest with
0: you? Why can't I go in this individual deal? And the answer is absolutely. You should do both. If you like a specific deal, uh, you could go into the deal. I mean, it's a risk concentration. So the, the, the primary benefit of going through a fund, you get two primary benefits effectively. One, high elevation points through this negotiation. So we will negotiate better terms generally than an investor who writes a 100K check versus will write a million dollar check or, or $2 million check or higher, right? So we'll get better terms. And that elevates kind of the returns and that justifies our fees, right? I mean, this is, this is how to think about it. The second real critical piece Diversified fund like ours, we spread the risk among many strategies, many sponsors, many locations. You never know when there's going to be another black swan event or something will happen, right? COVID is an example. When it happens, you can have a whole industry or or, or sectors or, you know, get hit really hard. And when it happens, this is when the saving grace is the, the fact that we are well diversified. So those are... Two primary benefits and uh, diversification is funny. People say it's for those who can't really pick the deals. Well, diversification is for those who don't want to take outside risks. And sometimes they uh, will put the faith and trust in a fund manager who is a professional, does this day in and day out versus folks who are learning. And, and more than welcome, what we do quite often, will invest in a deal and, and if, if there's more money needed for the sponsor, we'll reach out to our investors and say, hey, there's a little more room in the deal. We invested from the fund. We can't write a bigger check because we'll be over-concentrated. You want to take a piece. And that's absolutely fine. So we all, we, we'll do it from time to time. And um, it's kind of strength in numbers, always the, the conversation. So you could do both. You could write a direct check or you could go through a fund and get both of uh, benefits of, of both. If, if a deal becomes a great deal, a home run, you'll make outsized return. But if the deal collapses, at least your diversified investment is shielding you from from that. Nice. Right now, we're going
1: to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called GroundFloor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the Ground Floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Mike, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes, I am. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education?
0: Yeah, it's it's a great question. So um, practically from a deal uh, perspective, we have some really interesting uh, loans in the fund, um, and I call them uh, with this soft name, we invest in pot farms. We're not <laughs> nice. We're not growing uh, cannabis, but we have one of our sponsors. Their strategy is they buy land for um, c- conversion, uh, so for permitting for cultivation. Oh, nice. So uh, the play is very straightforward, and they're specialists, and they do it in Lake County, California. They have the connections to the county, really, really important. You gotta have your connections, and the value of the land is is, is goes up. I don't want to call it astronomically, but quite a bit so we've we've made a few loans uh with an equity kickers, and the value of those equity kickers have been substantially higher than all the interest we collected on the, on those loans so uh we have a few of these deals in the portfolio, and uh it's you know they've been essentially very, very strong home runs. The other example was that I mentioned to you that hotel conversion uh in twenty one months we made seventy three percent i r r so now I'm sure there are deals in high tech. You can make a thousand percent. You know, you could, you could. You know, I remember years ago, just just very quickly. And I apologize, we're running out of time. Uh, in technology world, I worked with a couple of guys, um, and they spun out from what used to be Bankers Trust. And this was the experience: working in a technology company, sharpest guys in the world, programmers, and they had a choice. Talking about investments and decisions, sometimes you make. They can go work for this one guy who founded this technology company. It was an encryption company. Or they had another guy, this crazy guy who was walking around. His name was Jeff. He wanted to sell some books (laughs) on the internet. (laughs) And he was was looking for some people to join him uh, in in what it is today, Amazon, or uh, give him some money. Well... Here's how the story goes. I mean, that investment would have been one of the greatest investments of all times. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, at that time, I didn't know. I joined the group after they spun out and I joined the other company,
1: so. <laughs> oh, man. I, I've talked with a few folks with a, a similar uh, story to that. But, you know, at the time, there's there's no really, there's no way to reliably predict what's going to become, you know, what did become Amazon or what will become the next Amazon, presuming we have one, like, Nobody really saw all of that coming, or very, very few people uh, did. So you know, you It's can't... very hard. That's why you diversify,
0: because you don't know what's going to be a home run and what's going to be a complete collapse. In a technology world, it's a lot more, you know, nine collapses, one home run. In real estate, it's very different, but collapses do happen. And that's why you, you got to kind of spread your risk. Absolutely.
1: We had the best investment or best investments. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? <laughs> Sure. So we had
0: uh, a loan in California on a fix and flip project. And um, basically, the, the the borrower failed. So part of what we do, we also make some hard money loans. And this was years ago. And uh, we basically foreclosed on a property, we took over the property. And you ever seen that movie, uh, Money Pit? They I haven't out. actually, no. Uh, basically imagine a house that becomes a bottomless pit. Sure. You do the work and it needs more and you do the work and it needs more and you do the work and it needs more and you continue to do it and you can't. Then you realize, whoops, the the main line is not connected. It's missing. It's missing. (laughs) The major plumbing is missing and you you can't seem to get out. And uh, then you finish, you put the property in the market and somehow nobody wants to buy it. So we did one deal in years ago. We lost a couple hundred thousand dollars. So we let, we got a PhD in you know in this, and we probably would have been better off not trying to get involved renovating the house, just selling it as it is and moving on. But if anything else, you foreclose, you want you want your money back, so you start putting good money after bad money, and it becomes a bottomless pit because the property itself isn't such a strain. You know it looks great, the frame, the, the framework, the shape, the building looks fine. But the inside of it, the plumbing, the electric,
1: I don't know, some complete idiots built it. So we have to redo a lot of work. Wow. it's Yeah, it's always good to to know those numbers. That reminds me, uh, right now there's a property that was flipped just by uh, my home in one of the hottest housing markets um, uh, for the past decade. I don't know if this stuff is not staying on the market here in Richmond, but they did too much work. They priced it too high and they've had to continually... Multiple times drop the price and it's just not selling. And I have a, a an inkling that that's something along the lines of uh, what might be happening there. But uh, stigma, you get the stigma, mm-hmm. and the property gets stale. People think something's wrong with it,
0: and at that point, nobody wants to look at it. And uh, and it's also if it's in a high end of the market, uh, you may have limited number of buyers. So really, it's a function of the product. But but these high end properties, we you know we're staying out of it because. Uh, in a hot market, they can do well, but if if it winds up in a stigma or other challenging
1: situation, you you may not be able to sell it. No, they're not going to, and or what, they will at some point. But Richmond in particular is so block by block, and this house has the unfortunate reality of being uh, four blocks away from the right place. And this is not big city blocks. This is Richmond, Virginia blocks, where if it was on the opposite side of the main thoroughfare that it is one block off of, it would be worth twice what they're asking right now, but it is not. And I suspect the flipper didn't know that, but topic for another day. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?
0: Invest with people you, you know, like, and trust. That's the bottom line.
1: So you, you
0: can't understate that. We do a lot of relationship investing and we've seen some of the challenges, uh, even from the best operators but the most competent people typically find ways to solve uh, problems and solutions and uh, avoid bright and shiny objects. So nice. th- the opposite of that, right, is if you, people know, like and trust, is the bright and shiny objects because we see too many of them and they look great in paper. If you don't understand the risk, if you can't assess the risk, if you, there's so much more that you have to do uh, and quite often just avoid them because if you're going to get deep into, give you an example, I don't understand crypto. Mm-hmm. I have many friends who love it and it does great. I so I, I tell them I don't understand it. It's not my cup of tea. Best of luck to you. It is a bright and shiny object. It may be the best thing after the sliced bread. I wish you I wish Bitcoin to be a million dollars, right? I, I just not gonna be involved. So that's
1: that's all I'm gonna say. Well, I you know, that's the great thing about real estate is it has real tangible value and usefulness and and you know, especially for land, they're not making any more of it. But uh, anyway, <laughs> you had something to say? Go yeah, I was going to say, without Please. comment,
0: I probably al- alienated some people. Maybe I'm an old guy, <laughs> old-fashioned guy. I, I did not criticize crypto. All I said is for some people, it's the right cup of tea. For me, good old-fashioned real estate is what I, I know. And I, I, and that's that's the thing for me. That's all I'm going to say. So I think stay within your within
1: your lane. That that's kind of lesson learned. Yeah, especially in real estate. I mean, the the topic of shiny object syndrome is enormous and. Know it's important to. I I like that you put that in a way where you're contrasting a shiny object with people you know, like, and trust. I think that's an interesting juxtaposition to go with the the people that you know, like, and trust, and especially the strategies you know, like, and trust compared to the shiny object, especially for folks that are newer to real estate investing. There are so many shiny objects you don't know about all the strategies. You find out this guy made 20 million dollars with this strategy and you know, six months or so. He says, maybe I should go do that and uh, just keep bouncing back and forth. You got to pick one. Yeah.
0: Let me just add one more thing on this. Mm-hmm. This is how it manifests itself. So we have investors in our funds and they reach out and they have great relationships and they send me a deal. And this is 40% IRR or 45% IRR. Oh boy. What do you think? They're sending me the deal. And I tell them, listen, um, I do coaching. I have big right? And I tell them I'm not a cheap date. If you want me to look at the deal, <laughs> Pay me the coaching fee. I'll look at the deal. Most likely, right? You, you're going to be wasting your time looking at a deal with 45% IRR. Ridiculous. Right? It's 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 out of this world. There's some assumptions that are probably crazy. But hey, listen, if you, <laughs> if
1: you want my services, happy to help. <laughs> well, you've got that. You put that one out there. But otherwise, thank you for joining us today. If folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn about your funds, we now know about your coaching or anything else that uh, you're putting out there? Where can folks find you? Yeah, so it's really simple. BigMikeFund.com.
0: And if you misspell it, you forget the D at the end, BigMikeFund.com. I promise it's not a
1: kinky site. <laughs> <laughs> that might be an expensive URL to buy and, and get to redirect to yourself. Well, I discovered in one of the conversations, I
0: said BigMikeFund.com and people didn't hear me. And they said, I just type BigMikeFund.com. It doesn't exist. I said, okay. Thank you very much. I have about 30 seconds to go get it.
1: Yes. (laughs) Wow. Well, it's been a lot of fun, Mike. Thank you for joining us to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That's very much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, wants to escape the Wall Street casino, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.